0: welcome to the Train Happy podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food, and body image. And today we're really talking about the body image part and the fitness part with Molly Forbes. You might know Molly. She is a mum, but she's also author of Body Happy Kids. She's founding director of the Body Happy organization and she is a speaker, campaigner, journalist, just all-round brilliant woman who is doing so much to advocate for children's body image. So we get into all things including why weighing children is problematic and also why having a fitness app for kids is also problematic. Now, of course, we're gonna be discussing some sensitive topics in this episode, so please just be aware that there is talk about children, weight, weighing, and dieting. But I really hope you, uh, if you can, stick with this one because Molly has so much insight to share, especially if you're a parent or a teacher or work with children in any way, this is such a great episode for you. But before we get into that, it is time for Train Happy Trooper of the Week. This week's Train Happy moment comes from Ellie. Hi, Tally. This is Ellie. Um, I love Train Happy, and I just wanted to send a message to say thank you for all of your work. I have um, just a, I guess, Train Happy moment that I wanted to share. I, um, my sister is getting married this year, and actually in December. And um, in the past, I definitely would have, you know, been really worried about what I looked like for the wedding and been worried about doing a bunch of workouts to look a certain way in pictures but um, this year I'm just excited about celebrating her and I'm not changing my training or anything I'm still trying to be intuitive and just um, focusing on the big thing which is my sister marrying the love of her life and so anyways I just wanted to thank you for inspiring me and um, for all of the work that you do for everyone else. Kelly, that is such a lovely uh, train happy moment and you're so kind to send that in. But also I think this is very um, hashtag anti-diet bride related. I know that's not what this episode is about, but I think this just goes to show like, really these big life events are about celebrating the moment and being there for your loved ones and just having fun and making memories. And it doesn't matter what you look like in the photos and so I'm so pleased that you're able to just go and be present and have fun and actually at the time of um, this coming out I think the event will have been and gone so maybe Ellie you can give us an update on how you got on at your sister's wedding If you would love to be featured as Train Happy Trooper of the Week and we would love to hear from you share your train happy moment with us via WhatsApp get in touch on 075 27537 And we can share your train happy moment. We love a voice note. We love a text. And if you do have any questions for myself or future guests, also send those along as well. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at train happy podcast where you can see behind the scenes and you can see a bit more of what's going on and tell us what you think of these episodes. Okay. Enough from me, however, let's hear from Molly because this is a meaty episode and I really think we need to get straight into this one. Molly, welcome back to the podcast. This is your second time, but so much has happened since you were last on. You've written a book, <laughs> you've created an organisation, just your casual things, <laughs> just conquering the world, helping one child's body image at a time. Yeah,
1: I've been busy. It's been busy. And then we had the pandemic and everything as well, just to kind of make things even oh, more yeah, exciting. Oh yeah, just that as well. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> it's so lovely to be back. It's always it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Tally. <laughs>
0: I'm so excited to chat to you today because in my research for this episode and just generally looking over your work, you know, we've known each other for a few years now, but, um, and I probably take for granted what you do and the time and energy in, but oh my goodness, for everyone listening, like I really hope you go and research all of Molly's stuff after this and look at her website because you've got such incredible resources out there for parents, for teachers and everything to help, children have a better relationship with their body image and to just generally help foster a more accepting um environment for everyone you know at home and schools like it's a lot of work you're doing but it this is this is crucial work yeah I mean when I still
1: kind of get frustrated sometimes when people are like oh body image you know why is that that doesn't affect kids but I guess I take it for granted because I, I do this work every day and I know how important it is. And I know the stats and I know that you know, children as young as three years old are suffering with poor body image. And, you know, one in seven children are on a diet, you know, across the weight spectrum. And all of these like really awful statistics show that actually body image, negative body image is increasingly and more and aggressively, top, you know, being something that children are having to cope with. And, um, also the messages that make, that, that really nurture these like feelings of insecurity just seem to be getting more and more aggressive. So I'm glad that you said it's about creating environments because that is our thing. We're very much about, um, you know, I'm, I really want to focus on how we can prevent some of these messages reaching children in the first place and actually create environments where children can just be at peace and content and happy in their bodies as children should be. And actually as adults should be and not, not have to grow up into being adults that have to relearn these relationships with, with their bodies and, and try and build positive body image, um, all over again. Um, so yeah, it's very much, I mean, it's a work in progress. We've, we've only been going for, yeah, we haven't been going for even two years yet, but it does feel like the demand is, um, yeah, unfortunately, the demand is is really there. I wish that we weren't needed, to be honest. <laughs> I wish that we didn't have yeah, to exist. <laughs> you know,
0: there's a real calling here to do the really important stuff because, yeah, so many kids struggle. And I imagine there's so many adults listening going, oh my goodness, if only I had had access to and people had told me that my body was okay when I was, you know, 10 that people, you know, had helped me feel good about myself and also helped me understand that all bodies are good bodies. Like, I wish I knew that because, oh my goodness, hearing that as an adult, like it's so, it's it's really healing on an inner child level. Um, but I also think it, it, it must bring up maybe a little bit of grief for people of being like, I wish this was around when I was a kid, mm. you know? Yeah, do you know, it's interesting because we're always, So, so we do like a range
1: of different things. And one of the things that we do is, is workshops. So we do, we do like CPD kind of training workshops with teachers, foster carers, sports coaches, anyone who has, you know, works with children. That's one of the things that we offer. And we're always really clear at the beginning of the sessions to say, you know, this is about the children in your care. This isn't about you. And there might be some confronting ideas that are going to challenge you in the, in this session as Particularly when people have been invested their whole life in diet culture and kind of, you know, weight normative ideas of, of health and, you know, these these kind of concepts have, have, they're really wedded to them. So it can be quite challenging when you start to kind of dig into some of these ideas. But I always try and bring it back to this is about the, the children that you're looking after. How can you best nurture their body esteem and how can you best, you know, create an environment that actually really supports their their mental health and their body image and their overall well being. And what's really interesting is that there's often like a light bulb moment that happens in a workshop where where or, or they'll be really quiet because you can see they're kind of taking it all in and and it's really interesting sort of reading the feedback afterwards or when you connect with them after the session that you know to think how how have some of these ideas trickled through and and offered them a new perspective you know on something they might not have ever really considered before and sometimes it can really change how they feel about their own body you know like it, it can really have that kind of Um, that kind of impact and that was the same with my book I wrote that book for it's a book for adults but it's for adults who are raising children it's essentially a parenting book but I think that there was something in there about people reading it and really relating and and putting it to their own experiences and almost not just giving them tools to help their own kids but you know that inner child thing giving them some just sort of a bit of perspective on how to help themselves, I guess, as well, which wasn't that wasn't the purpose of my book. There are so many amazing books out there that already exist for adults, you know, inclu- including your own, and and that wasn't the purpose of my book. But it's interesting that that has been for some people that's been a secondary outcome. So yeah, it's lovely.
0: <laughs> yeah, because so many people I think come to this because they're like, I want to break the cycle for my children. You know, is that what motivates you to do it? You know, what brought you to this work? I
1: think at the beginning, it came from a uh, a bit of a selfish place, if I'm honest. It came from me just feeling like I didn't want to, I just couldn't carry on doing what I was doing. It wasn't serving me, you know, the constant like on and off the diet bandwagon and this constant like feeling of body shame and, you know, I'm a, a straight-sized white non-disabled woman, you know, and so I, I was... And I was still struggling, you know, and I think that initially it was I was just so naive. You know, I didn't have any concept of how anti-fat bias and weight stigma plays out for so many people. You know, I, I didn't really know anything about ableism. I didn't know anything about the racist roots of diet culture, none of that. I just wanted to find a better relationship with my own body. And I didn't think about body image as a social justice issue at all. Um, and I didn't think about my role and my responsibility in this whole soup, you know. Um, and then I once I started feeling better about my own body and unlearning some of these things and learning about some of this stuff, I started realizing how aggressively these messages were coming from my own children. I've got two daughters. um and I just felt really angry. and I was I, I think everyone probably goes through this like, Stages where they just kind of are incensed and they're just shocked once they start realizing how prevalent these like fat phobic diet culture messages are and how you know people kind of go through this period of like just intense anger all the time and I was definitely mm-hmm. in that phase. Mm-hmm. That was when I started campaigning because I I think my my first thing was um, when I was campaigning on these issues I I was just incensed that these companies these these huge big you know, multi-million dollar companies were allowed to just advertise around schools, you know. They'd have the diet club meetings in the school and then they put the banner and the marketing outside the school. And I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that it was allowed to happen when they're not allowed to advertise on TV before the watershed or on radio before, but yet they're allowed to just put their stuff, you know, their posters and their banners up in schools. Like I just thought this, this isn't, what on earth. And so I was really motivated by anger Um, And it was really kind of, I guess, from a bit of a selfish place of just wanting to, I mean, not selfish, I mean, a a familial selfish thing of like just Mm -hmm. caring about my own kids and not wanting my own kids to have to go through what I'd gone through. And then the more I kind of did this work and became a part of this space and actually educated myself and started, you know, learning more about the subject and interviewing people and speaking to people in my kind of day job the more I realize how systemic these issues are and the more I realize actually it wasn't just about raising kids who feel good in their own bodies and just content and happy in their own bodies it was about raising good humans who treat other kids who have bodies that don't look or function like their own with the same level of respect and dignity as they treat you know everyone who who fits that you know quote unquote whatever you know the accepted standard is and that is really now at the forefront so that's why I started this social enterprise company because I just wanted to create some kind of social impact and you know I think that with body image as a concept it can feel such an individual concept and this idea of how we think and feel about our own bodies and we're very much like inward looking which is important and that's a really important part of the um Oh, I'm journey. I hate that, but <laughs> please forgive me. I can't think of another kind of word, but that is an important part of the process, I guess. But if we stop there, we're never going to get any change. And that's why I, you know, then started looking, well, let's look at the environments and let's, how can we teach kids to advocate for other children? And how can we teach teachers not to start putting some of these messages there in the first place? And actually, how can we look at you know, how body diversity is is talked about and celebrated and food and health. And, you know, schools are really good about understanding about, you know, the importance of inclusion and mental health. But I think there's still a big gap in knowledge and understanding where body image comes into that. And if you are, if you have an anti-bullying policy, for example, in your school, but yet you're not looking at how weight stigma in your setting is reinforced daily, then the anti-bullying policy isn't really doing anything because we know that kids in high-weight bodies are the most, you know, they're 63% more likely to be bullied than other children. You know, appearance-based bullying is the number one form of bullying in school. So maybe some of these approaches to food and nutrition and education and health are actually inadvertently giving the green light to that kind of
0: bullying. You know? Yeah, because the goal shouldn't necessarily be, okay, well the solution to this then is to try and make every child look the same. The goal, the solution should be like, let's all accept each other as we are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Change the culture, not children's bodies. Change
0: the culture, not the children's bodies. Yeah. We need to put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> That's your campaign slogan. <laughs> um, so you created Body Happy Org, and I feel like maybe we should just slightly detail what it is. You're saying it is a organization that runs courses um, for teachers and parents and people who care for children. What else do you guys do? I don't want to limit it to just that. Where we get
1: the biggest social impact is in our workshops and our CPD training for people that work with kids because they're the ones who are ultimately with the kids every day who are making these decisions about, I don't know, like a display in a school or a scheme of work or, I don't know, a, a sports program or whatever. Um, but we also do do workshops for kids as well so this year we started going into schools there's been a big demand for that and if, at first we were resistant to it because we kind of didn't want to be like a school just do a box ticky thing bring us in do a 90 yeah. minute workshop and then we go off on our merry way and nothing actually changes in the school like it, it's you know mm. On paper, it might sound really good. But we started doing them because we realized that even after having, you know, training and learning about this subject, some schools either didn't have the confidence to be able to necessarily tackle the sessions. But one of the big things that's really interesting was quite a lot of teachers said to us that with this subject, there's a level of like authority bias. So if they bring an outside speaker in, kids, particularly older kids, so kids who are like in year six you know, through to secondary school, they're going to have more buy-in to these ideas if it's an outside speaker rather than their, you know, Mrs. Smith, who they see every day in tutor time or or for maths or whatever. I think that 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 is kind of the thinking for a lot of schools who want to book us is that, you know, if they bring an outside person in, then maybe there'll be more buy-in, which is really great. But I do still, you know, want the teachers to learn about this subject as well because there's no meaningful change Mm. if you don't also have the adult the teacher buy-in but yeah we do workshops for anyone who works with children um including schools we've done we've done workshops for Women's aid, refuge workers, foster carers, um, nursery nurture nurses, PE teachers, sports coaches. Um, but we also sell resources. So we have a whole bank of teaching resources. So full schemes of work, individual lesson plans, right from the early years, so you know, preschool, right through to key stage four, you know, up to A level. And we also have an online masterclass for parents, because parents, you know, who has the time? <laughs> Most of the parents I know prefer to do that kind of passive learning because you can dip in and out of it. And, and it's really difficult to even just find 90 minutes in your week to just, you know, join a workshop. I get that. And we sell books and other kind of physical resources. So um, some really lovely picture books and, you know, journals for children and teenagers and our uh, pocket booster packs, which are a little, I've got a pack, pack here. These are, are like little cards. It's like a little affirmation card game um that's based on one of the kind of inspired by one of the toolkits in my book so basically just like tools and practical tangible things as well as loads of free downloadable resources activity packs you know just with kids it needs to be interactive they need to you can't just sit children down and say right I'm going to tell you about this thing called diet culture and I'm going to teach you about yeah, the history yeah. of appearance ideals like it's so dry and they're just not going to buy into that at all so you need to make it really interactive and fun and really discussion led and get children sharing their ideas and you know books can be a great way to do that activity packs where they're actually doing stuff moving forward i would love to have like you know create some like bigger school-wide like campaigns you know and and encourage like a whole you know week of resources and assemblies and um all of that kind of stuff but at the moment like we're just building on. That, you know we have done quite a lot in a short amount of time but we,
0: there's we have. still a lot to
1: be done <laughs>
0: you know what there is but you're already doing really like i said you're doing really important stuff and i think you can only start where you start right and you go from there so one thing i wanted to bring you in particularly to talk about today was a couple of couple of kind of headline topics that have been in the news and everyone's kind of talking about something you've particularly been talking about a lot um is the National Child Measurement Programme, which is specifically in the UK. I don't know if that's just an England thing or if it's a UK thing, but it's, what my understanding is, it's a kind of programme within schools to weigh children and there's just been a lot of discussion around it and I would love you to talk a bit more about this programme and... What may be the controversy has been around it from your perspective? So the NCMP,
1: the National Child Measurement Programme, it's a a programme run by Public Health England and it operates in state-funded schools. And children in reception, so ages four and five, and in year six, which is ages 10 and 11, this programme sees children in those years... um, just routinely weighed. So the school nursing team will come into the school. It's not It's not run by the teachers in the school. They'll come into the school and they will measure the children and they will weigh them and they will measure their height. It's a data collection exercise run by Public Health England so that they can obtain data around the height and weight of children. It was brought in in 2006. Um, it was controversial when it was brought in. In 2012, as part of the program they started offering feedback to parents so what ha- what has been happening for the last 10 years is that parents um, and caregivers you know whoever the child's guardians are um, they will if the child um falls outside of the quote-unquote normal parameters on that height and weight scale the parent the guardian the caregiver will receive a letter letting them know that their child is is either underweight overweight or obese and stigmatizing language i apologize for using those words those are the words that will be on the letter though and then it depends on the area in some areas the the um parent will receive a referral request so they might get referred to a weight management program to essentially put their kid on a diet in some areas that won't happen it's just feedback they'll just be told and then the parent does with that information what they will Um, and in some areas a new project that is currently being trialed and it started um, from Newcastle University is the parents will along with the letter receive a piece of paper with like an image and it's a picture of various different shaped bodies um with words like you know underweight normal weight overweight obese and it's like a visual essentially a visual guide to where their child falls in that chart I mean it's um I shared a a image on my Instagram it's like it's quite an upsetting it (laughs) I mean, when you work in, in this field, you're, it's quite unbelievable. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see if that is rolled out nationally. They're currently like, it's currently trialling in certain areas. I know it's happening in Stoke, it's happening in the North, um, the Northeast, and I think it'll be interesting if it gets trialled across the country. So the issues. I mean, apart from the fact that it's just a completely pointless exercise and a massive waste of money, because on, on the very most basic level, OK, great, you've got the measurements. What now? What does that change? It doesn't change anything, because we know that health is really complicated. We know that there are over a 100 different factors that influence uh, a person's weight. We know that many of those factors are outside of their individual control. And we know that actually weight does not equal health and narrowing down health to just be about you know the size of someone's body and you know this assumption that you know we can tell how healthy someone is just by looking at them it is harmful and damaging and it can promote disordered eating and eating disordered behaviors and poor body image but also it's just completely and utterly pointless because it totally ignores the social determinants of health you know it means that They can funnel money into getting kids weighed and make it seem like it's an individual issue that parents have full control over. But then they don't need to look at actually the root of the problem, which is inequality. You know, the fact that we've got four million children living in food insecurity at the moment. And the fact that, you know, there's the divide between the richest and the poorest in this country is just getting bigger and bigger. But we don't need to worry about that. We don't need to think about the social determinants of health. Let's just put all the children on a diet and that will just solve the problem. And even better, we can farm them out to weight management companies, which are private entities. And let's make some money at the same time, you know, not to get all kind of tinfoil hat. But I do think that there's this is all part of the diet <laughs> diet industrial complex, you know, and this is this is how it's coming for children now. And so that's kind of like on the one hand, you know, it's a pointless exercise. But the other thing is uh, at the core of helping children develop positive body esteem are the ideas that all bodies are good bodies that will help them develop positive body esteem of their own bodies, but will also help them to treat the bodies of other kids who don't look like themselves or whose bodies don't function like their own, you know, with respect and dignity if we're telling children, that actually, no, some bodies are bad bodies, and some bodies are good bodies, then that is completely at odds with that kind of message. But also, you know, we want to teach kids that their bodies are their own. And actually, if you're then like putting them on a scale and weighing them, you're that's not teaching them that their bodies are their own, you know, we're teaching them really, really, really damaging ideas about health and, and wellness, right from the age of like, you know, age four. Um, so children won't necessarily get. Children are not told what their weight is when they're weighed, or they're not meant to be. Sometimes they are because they it doesn't always get carried out properly and, if and done privately.
0: yeah so they'll
1: go they'll get taken privately it won't happen in front of the class and they'll get stood on a scale and then the the nurse will mark down the weight and the height and then the child shouldn't be told that information and then the parent will then get the feedback but it's that feedback thing so there's some really interesting research out um in July of 2022 and they found that one in seven children are currently on a diet, one in seven children across the weight spectrum are currently trying to lose weight. And they found that the number of children trying to, you know, go on diets and actively pursue intentional weight loss has skyrocketed in the last decade. Now, they can't say the cause of that. But for me, it's very interesting. And the researchers noted, it's very interesting, that that has happened in the last decade, which correlates with the Time when parents started getting feedback about their child's height and weight. Now, what we do know is that the number of children currently experiencing eating disorders is at a record high, and that there are so many children currently needing treatment, there are not enough services to treat them. So, this scheme has been running since 2006, and for the last 10 years, parents have had feedback, okay? It's not made any meaningful impact on our health as a nation but it has had a negative impact i mean we can't say that it's definitely that for sure but we can say that there are trends and we can say that we know that more and more kids are st- struggling mm-hmm. with eating disorders and many health professionals including you know some of the the people that i work with are not in support of the national child measurement program it was created as a created as a political tool um and it is still being used as such and um in the 2021 women and equalities commission review a uh, report that they you know did this big review into body image and one of their recommendations was to urgently review the program but the government just doubled down on it and just said well actually the research shows that there is no Harm from this program, but that's not true because there is more recent research that shows there is a a lot of harm from the program. But yet, still, parents aren't given the full story. When they get the letter about it, they'll get a letter saying studies show there is no harm from weighing children in school. There's no harm to their emotional development or mental health, and it's not true. That that just isn't true. The studies. You know, one old study showed that, but actually there are lots there's lots lots more emerging, very robust evidence that shows that it is harmful and we shouldn't still be doing it.
0: And I imagine there are parents who may have had a situation when they were a child when they were weighed for whatever reason and they may have had you know a sort of medical intervention about their weight or whatever and it, it being flagged and raised in the home and I say this knowing that some of my clients have experienced this and I can guarantee that that is a scar that they still bear today and that to say that there is there's no harm you know it's it's no big deal I think is really short-sighted because I think um if you speak to most people especially people who are adults who struggle with food, exercise, body image, all this stuff. They remember when they were weighed. They remember the conversations. They remember the look on their parents' faces. They remember the shame that was instilled in them by using words from the kind of BMI categories to describe them. Um, And to say that it's not is really frustrating.
1: I mean, it's gaslighting at like the worst degree, isn't it? It's it's invalidating and it is, it's totally it gaslighting. And what it also says is, oh, well, if you have a problem with it, then you're in the minority. There must be something wrong with you, you know. And actually, there is no, there are no positive health outcomes of of this program, you know. When we're linking weight with, you know, with health and. The, you know, the other thing is, the other side of the, the coin is that what happens, you know, a child might get their parents or guardian might get a letter and they're four years old. And if that parent doesn't know any better, they might, their instinct might be, well, I need to, you know, do something about this. I'm going to put my kid on a diet or start restricting their food intake, which is essentially putting the kid on a diet. And then that kid is being put, you know, on a, on and they are being introduced to the diet cycle from the age of four. And then they're going to go through that weight cycling process all their life. Yeah. And that, we know that that process on its own is independently bad for health. You know, it's not, it's not good. Let alone the impact of weight stigma that that child might be experiencing. I've heard some horrible stories of, you know, I've heard stories from teachers where they've had to be subsidizing the food, the child's food at lunchtime because the family haven't been sending them in with enough lunch because they're being told, you know, you're not allowed to have that. And the child is hungry at school and is unable to concentrate in class and is also feeling like their body is wrong and is maybe being teased or, uh, you know, it's like part of, you know, not just being teased by peers, but also getting that message from their own family that, no, we need to do something about this. We need to take Mm. control. Yeah, and often I think it comes from from parents thinking, "Well, if I can change my b- child's body, I'll protect them from experiencing some of these things."
0: Yes, oh yes. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of people. I I like. I feel like with parents as well. Like, oh, there's enough. I'm sh- I'm not a mum myself, but I just see the amount of kind of shame and guilt put onto parents. In so many aspects of parenting, right? Like you never feel like you're doing it right, and to to kind of lay the blame at parents is really hard because I think everyone's trying to do the best thing for their child. They're always got, you know, they really do probably have their their child's best interests at heart, and they trust these, you know, if it, if you think it's a government funded program by Public Health England, when that seems really legit and that feels like a, you know, that's uh an authority on this subject and therefore they must be right and if they're referring me to this other medical professional or to this other kind of weight program who's supposedly expert in this area then also I should listen to them because of course they're right you know it's understandable when people have only been trying to do the best with bad information
1: yeah it's a systemic problem it's not I don't blame the parents I blame the system that has created This issue where parents feel like they've got no other choice, you know, I mean, and I blame the fact that, that I blame the fact that they're not being given the full story in the first place. You know, we, I worked, so at Body Happy Org, I worked with the charity, Anybody UK, who've been campaigning on this issue for longer than I have, and they've done some amazing work with their Play Not Weight campaign. And they gave evidence to the Women Inequalities Commission um, committee in 2021, and um, I teamed up with them and we created this, um, essentially, it's like a fully comprehensive resource for parents. It's a downloadable information pack and it gives them all the information that they're not getting in their letter. When, you know, what happens is they'll get two weeks notice that the nursing team are going to come into the school and they'll just get a letter. And, and it will say, you know, this is going to happen if you want to opt out. This is how you do it. Otherwise, you know, we'll we'll weigh your child. So first of all, it's really important to know that if you want, if you don't want your child to be weighed at school, you have to actively opt out. It's not, you don't have to give consent. The GDPR rules changed. And since 2018, they do not have to get consent from you to weigh your child. If you don't want your child weighed, you have to actively opt out. And if you don't do that, even if you just put the form in the bin and don't think about it, they will be weighed. So unless you opt out, and in, unfortunately, in some areas, they make it quite hard. They make you. It's not just a case of filling in a form. Sometimes it's a case of ringing a phone number, mm. and even then, sometimes the kids will still get weighed, so by mistake. So we created this um, downloadable information pack, which details the full background of you know why you might want to consider opting out. It tells you how to go about doing that. It tells you you know there's a whole FAQ section where you know. Lots of parents worry about their child feeling left out, for example. You know, often when kids are weighed, they get a sticker, you know, for a four-year-old to get a sticker, you know, the child doesn't want to be left out. There might be one kid in the class who doesn't get weighed and they don't get a sticker. So it kind of details parents and schools how, you know, how you can go about opting out. And then for schools, you know, letting schools know that they can opt out. They don't have to allow the nursing team in. But also if they decide to go ahead and allow the nursing team in, which most schools do um it tells them how they can um kind of minimize the harms you know in as in as much as they can um but the other really important thing to notice is that you know children are they're not just getting weighed when they're 4 and 5 they're getting weighed in year 6 when they're 10 and 11 now that's a whole other you know kettle of fish because at that age many children have already started going through puberty You know, we know that that is a really vulnerable age for body image concerns. And we know that, you know, it's also a period of intense change, not just bodily changes, but children, you know, they're preparing to go to secondary school. Often some of their friendships are changing. You know, they're, they're starting to learn independence and they're growing up. And then to put some of these kids on a scale and weigh them and then send a letter home to their parents You know, that's so it's so problematic. We know that also when children go through puberty, it's really normal for them to gain weight. You know, um, I think it was Laura Thomas. I interviewed Laura once about, um, you know, kids and and food and was really common for kids to go in, in Laura's words to go out before they go up. You know, the other thing, what's it based on? It's based on BMI, and we know how problematic that is. Yeah, you know?
0: exactly. The most <laughs> we're saying, flawed you don't... system going.
1: Exactly, and so we're saying, well, you don't fit this this random line. There's something wrong with your body at a time when their body esteem is really, really fragile and really vulnerable, and their body is changing. And you know, that might be the time when we start to see an increase in children, you know, with eating disorders and disordered eating behaviour. That is just really scary for me. And I just want to say that actually I hear from a lot of nurses that have to carry out this program as part of their job and they don't like it. You know, they don't like it. There are many nurses that have to do this, that hate this part of their job. So just because it is a Public Health England program, I think it's really useful to understand the background of it and understand the politics of it. And unfortunately, just like everything, it's not straightforward. It's not without <laughs> without problems. It's not without nuance. But I just think if you if you're able to opt out and you and you feel that you can opt out once you've got all the information, like just opt out. Um, but you know, some people will choose not to, and that's their choice, and that's cool, that's fine. If you want to know information about it, then download the information pack and then you can make your own decision. Mums the Word is a brand new parenting podcast hosted by me, Ashley James. Pregnancy, piles and all the other problems that come with parenting, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Join me each week on my journey through motherhood as we celebrate the amazing highs as well as the lows. As it's my first time, we'll have celebrities, experts and hopefully you guys too who will help me figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Find us wherever you got this podcast. So the second big headline that's come up about kids and schools is the new fitness tracker app in the UK called Moki Moki. I'm not sure on the pronounce pronunciation. Mm-hmm. I, I read every inch of their website and kind of looked through what it's about. And my understanding is that this is a fitness kind of app and tech where the children wear a tracker on their wrist where they don't have any data. They can't see any numbers or anything on their wrist. They just wear like a, a band. But they have this hub and they they kind of tap their band into this kind of hard drive hub thing. And the teacher can then see like, how active is the class being and how uh, many steps is the class doing? Um, you can see individual data, but generally it seems to be that they like to, promote it as something that groups do, teams, you'd have teams of different classes and all sorts of things. And um, yeah, and it's come out. And I think once again, there's been a real interesting conversation around this. Obviously my immediate reaction when I saw this was like, yep, it's a no from me. This is what another, I think this is a situation where perhaps the people creating this have probably gone in with really good intentions. I, I just think, Diet culture and wellness culture has kind of told us that tech is the solution to everything to do with our health. Like if we can just get an app for that, if we can just get some like, you know, computer to tell us, xyz then we'll all be fine and now they've come for the kids so talk to me about this molly what are your thoughts on Moki Moki?
1: yeah so right so i first found out about this when a parent messaged the body happy org instagram with information about it saying that their school had signed up and they had really serious concerns and had i didn't know anything about it so i looked You know, they sent me like a picture of the letter and I looked into it and my immediate reaction was the same as you. I was just like, no, you know, we know that there's some really robust evidence that shows that when, um, you know, the fitness trackers can, can have, have adverse, can, can actually really harm body image and can promote disordered eating behaviors and a disordered relationship with movement and and exercise. And then to be giving fitness trackers to kids, you know, that, that's, No, you know, we know it has an impact on adults and and that particularly swimming around in the culture that they're swimming around in these environments where they're being also being weighed at school and they're also getting food lessons, teaching them about good food and bad food. And they're also going into the playground and, you know, hearing weight based bullying and anti-fat bias. You know, as part of that overall picture, my initial response was just, no, this is not good. Now I have had a conversation with one of the co-founders um, partners who reached out to me after I um after I posted about it. And her email was really lovely, it was a really nice email. It was really just trying to explain the background of you know and who they are. And I don't want to speak on behalf of them because I'm not their brand. But from what she said to me, there are small businesses, three of the three people. And the reason that they started it, and this is where the nuance is, there's always nuance in everything, isn't there? It doesn't always come across on on social media, but they started it because um, their son has ADHD. And for him, movement is a really Mm. positive part of his day, you know, and actually it's really important part of his learning. And so there'll be many kids I mean for all movement I just want to make this really clear I'm not anti-movement like I am all we love movement yeah I'm all for kids being allowed to you know celebrate their bodies and move their bodies and you know intuitive movement movement. you know joyful Mm, movement especially at that age yeah exactly playful movement yeah and moving away from this kind of diet culture idea and actually so their point was what, well, you know, often kids don't move enough in the day. And it's not, it's not because they want kids mm. to move because they want to make kids thinner. Um, they want to aid their learning. And often teachers don't realize how little the kids are actually moving because they think, oh, you know, they'll do, they'll have a run around at playtime. You know, if it's not wet play and they're able to run around outside. Um, And maybe they'll have like a formal PE lesson, but they don't do formal PE lessons every day. And, you know, for many kids, um, their argument was actually for many kids, formal PE lesson and formal sports just they just don't like it. And so if we if teachers can see visually how little their class is moving and they can start creating more opportunities for playful movement as part of their day, that would be a positive thing. I do, too. I'm not against that. But. This is the issue. Okay. So, the way that I feel, the way that it's being marketed and sold to schools is kind of falling into that diet culture trap. And I think that there are going to be many schools who are probably carrying a lot of anti fat bias within their setting and are worried about kids not moving and not having enough exercise. And they think, well, we just need to get the kids moving more. So, let's put them all on a fitness tracker. and then they're going to start, there'll be some teachers who are going to start, you know, they're not, it's it's like giving a loaded gun to, you know, someone who likes shooting. I don't know, that's a terrible analogy, but, but the point I'm making is that, you, that you're giving this stuff without any of the other information or resources. But even then, even if they had like the Body Happy Org training and all of that, I cannot in all consciousness... Endorse this, you know. Even knowing that, and and I said this like really honestly to to the lady who who messaged, who emailed me, and they sent a really long reply back. And I see, I hate. I don't like confrontation. It brings me no joy to call out a, a small brand, you know, who who are obviously a family run business, who who are doing it with the best of intentions. And you know, I I don't want to do that, but I cannot endorse this because we know that like fit there's too much evidence to show that fitness trackers you know or movement trackers or whatever even if the kids can't see that information you know teaching kids that it's it's essentially like getting them to trust a mm-hmm. bit of tech rather than their own body and i think i 100% agree we need to be looking at how can we give kids more opportunities for playful movement in their day But we don't, we we need to be doing that as part of, you know, our overall kind of approach to learning. We don't need to be doing that as part of, you know, giving kids fitness trackers or movement trackers, because what can happen... I just feel like the pitfalls are too too many. There could be many children. We know the stats show that, you know, one in seven children are actively trying to lose weight. So there are going to be multiple children in that class who already have a difficult relationship with food and movement in their bodies. And then you're giving them a band and they're saying, well, why have we got this band? And they're going to be told why they've got the band because it's to track their movement. And so for some of those children, even if they can't see that movement, they know that someone else can. And it might then essentially give the green light and and validate eating disorder or disordered eating or disordered movement or orthorexia, all those kind of things. That kind of those kind of really difficult things, it might validate that kind of behavior. And then the other thing is that actually we know, again, sadly, evidence shows there's some really interesting evidence that um, weight bias among PE teachers is actually often higher than other subjects. And interesting. when I was researching my book, I came across this really interesting study that was done in America and they found that, um, now I want to say like not all PE teachers, I know that, Um, but this study (laughs) was done that found, um, you know, they they basically measured the anti-fat bias of the teachers at the beginning of their teacher training across all the different subjects. And then they measured it at the end. And at the beginning of the training for all the other teachers, it it was, you know, at one point and by the end it had gone down. But for PE teachers, it had gone up.
0: Oh, interesting. So
1: we know that for some PE teachers, not all PE teachers, but for, for some, um, actually they're, they will be carrying a lot of anti-fat bias. They'll be coming at health from a diet culture lens. And they might see this as their golden ticket. But, you know, what are they going to do with that data? What are they going to do with that information? How are they going to approach it? You know, I just... I sadly can't endorse it. And and like I said, it brings me no joy. And I've had conversations with this, you know, with, with the lady who's one of the partners of the co-founders and I believe that their intentions are really good. And I believe there is like a huge amount yes. of nuance. And I want to share that side of the story because I don't want to be someone who's just like sharing my bit. But even with all of that in mind, I just, I sadly, I just, I it's still a no for me, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I'm thinking they were talking often about like putting the kids into teams and like competing to do you know, however many steps a day or whatever. And I think we see that as at, you know, corporate companies, they do that for your things. And then I can imagine that the winning team then gets rewarded with something. And I think it starts to kind of build that in with movement that you're looking for external motivation and you're looking for external rewards to get you to move. And that will go into adulthood rather than teaching children to find intrinsic reasons to move that are based on making them feel good. Do you notice that your look we'd had some fun playtime, you know, maybe we did a silly dance class, dance party in class and now look at you, your spellings, you know, look at your spelling got better and you know, you can see you constant, you're able to concentrate and that was amazing if we were able to reinforce that. So I, I kind of see what the, what the, probably the goal was for this um, fitness tracker system but I can see it being used in a way that, that like you said, disconnects children from their bodies. And if there's one thing that we know that diet culture does really well is it's dis- it disconnects us from our bodies, and especially with movement. I know, like I said, I'm working with adults now who've been through all this process when they were kids and they didn't have apps like this, but they had other things that disconnected from from their bodies, and you know we're still working on that and rebuilding that now. So to think that this could be yeah interfering so young and could be like gamifying movement in a way that I don't think is necessarily helpful because it also emphasizes steps as well which I also just on a steps level like the research around you know 10,000 steps a day is is very shaky and there's no huge benefit shown um, to hitting 10,000 steps a day that you also get, I think, at about like six to 7,000 steps a day or something like that. Um, That, you know, that that, t- that 10,000 number is like an arbitrary number. So yeah. what number do they choose for the kids? And we, I really like talking about that kind of nuanced perspective of it, of like going, once again, I think these are probably people with really good intentions and, I am completely agree with them that I think movement does really help people, um, kids who are maybe not neurotypical and perhaps also helps kids for various reasons to have a better learning experience. But I don't think this is the solution.
1: I think children do naturally have a good relationship with movement, you know, many many children will run when they can walk, you know, they're constantly being told like in school, don't run, you know, walk. You walk past a a play area at lunchtime and kids are running around and they're doing dances and they're playing. They're not like standing there doing squats or planks or, you know, burpees, (laughs) you know, yeah, exactly. And I think that what's happening, unfortunately, is that Adults perceptions of movement and what constitutes valid movement Mm. is is harming kids relationships with movement just in the way that we've done with healthy eating, you know, quote unquote healthy eating and the way that we've taught food education over the last 10 to 15 years those diet culture rules have come into the way that we talk about food with children. And that's now happening with movement. Mm. And I don't think it's happening. I I think it's, I don't think it's coming from a place of like, you know, ill intent necessarily. I, I mean, I think it's, I think that, but children are getting these messages. I mean, I never knew when I was a kid about, you know, HIIT workouts and my kids prior to lockdown and, you know, a certain very, very well-known fitness influencer doing, you know, viral (laughs) YouTube videos that are then used in school that are essentially hit lessons for kids. You know, they didn't know about planks and burpees because they were just moving their bodies in a way that felt good. And they were enjoying, you know, Mm. just kind of, being kids and kids do what we need is to we need to trust kids to have that intrinsic relationship with their body and we need to give them more opportunities to use it and we to, need to recognize that formal sport has a place definitely in mm. the curriculum and for some kids They're going to love formal sport. And actually, there are loads of benefits from formal sport, including skills building and team building and, you know, increased self-esteem. For some kids, that's not the way. And not all kids are going to like formal sport. And so actually, PE needs to be about way more than just, you know, teaching football or netball or, you know, passing skills or whatever. But actually, we need to be looking at how we can incorporate movement into the day that isn't uh, anything to do with PE you know that is just like a fun dance time maybe at the end of a break my, my kids school do something which is awesome so at the end of break time they they put this song on and they'll like crank up the speakers and they're all in the playground and then they all do a dance and the year sixes lead the dance at the front and then all the kids copy and the teachers join in and they basically just have a dance and it's like they're all just doing like this massive choreographed I don't know TikTok dance or something And the kids really like that, you know, maybe some kids don't, but (laughs) I mean, as far as I uh, hear good things, it seems like the kind of thing that, you know, when you're, when you're walking past the playground, it looks like fun. Mm. Um, And the point is like, we need to be having more opportunities for, in your words, playful movement, like in Mm. the day. We don't need to be having more opportunities to measure that movement or put movement in a kind of hierarchy and say, actually, unless you're doing a plank or a burpee, or unless you're doing learning about dribbling a football, it doesn't count. Um, And I think we just need to trust kids a bit more. And we need to like nurture that natural relationship and connection that they have with their bodies rather than constantly trying to meddle all the time. That's
0: what we're doing. We're meddling. We're meddling and micromanaging. When do you feel like the age was for you when movement was play and then it was exercise? And it's so interesting because often it is those early teen years, that kind of 10, 11, 12, 13 time when it wasn't just like being silly with your friends and playing stuck in the mud. It was, okay, now I have to exercise and I'm told to do, you know, sprints with my teacher or whatever. I don't know what it is, Um, and it's become a lot (laughs) more the bleep test. Oh my goodness, it haunts every everyone. It it, it just becomes this formal exercise, and then exercise has, has all of its connotations, right? And the constant thing I'm always like bashing on about is like, let's get back to how it was when we were kids, when it was play, when it was just fun when we all had hobbies and, you know, it was like a really good time when it was was dancing around the playground, when it was like doing hula hoops and skipping and all that stuff, but for the fun of it, rather than for like, right, my movement tracker has to tell me that I've done, you know, um, 10 active minutes a day. I'm like, have I done enough? I'm on my skipping rope, like, Mm -hmm. have I done more? Um, You know, we used to do Hours of skipping at primary school. Oh my goodness, that was like our oh, favorite thing to do. Bulldogs, you know that big game running game. Yeah, we did dogs. So... That got banned at my school. Yeah, it got banned. It got too rough. <laughs> we had so many great games where we were all being active. Like everyone, I meant that like the whole like upper school playing bulldogs, and everyone was included and everyone was doing it and no one tracked it and you know we all turned out okay.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I know? mean, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? I think. For me, it's a similar thing. I had, uh, I had, I really had to kind of relearn my, my relationship with movement when I was going through that period of kind of unlearning some of that diet culture stuff around food and trying to just get a more peaceful kind of relationship with my own body. And now I really, I love, you know, I go swimming most mornings and that's like a lovely, delicious part of my day and I really enjoy it. And I'm just forever you know, trying to think, say to my kids, well, what feels good? Yeah. You know, what feels good? And my kids, you know, my kids really, they like dancing. They both do street dance. My eldest daughter's just recently joined netball. So that's like a big thing. She, she didn't like PE at all in year seven because of the environment um of like the PE lesson was like really overwhelming for her. And so that's like a whole other conversation. But I just think we need to just trust kids' bodies and trust kids to know what feels good and give them as many opportunities as possible to do those things mm. and just to kind of be at peace and just sort of leave them alone a bit. You know, there's yeah. this real hysteria in, you know, kids aren't moving enough. Kids are spending too much time on screens. But actually the other side of it is kids are more kids are more under so much pressure. They're so stressed. They're constantly, they're being tested all the time. There are constant school tests, you know, they're constantly being you know put under pressure in various different ways and they're expected to do so many extracurricular activities and you know kids are really anxious now we know like the number of kids who are suffering with anxiety Mm. you know and poor body image and and all of these related mental health issues you know we just need to kind of give them a bit of a break you know give them chance to move their bodies in ways that feel good you know and Mm. and Rather than investing the money in saying, right, you need to do X, Y, and Z, let's invest the money in looking at how we can make these things more accessible and more equitable for people, you know, because many schools just don't have the money to invest in play equipment. And, you know, many play areas are just like parks are just like defunct. It costs so much money to like get play equipment for a a park, you know? So loads of areas don't even have swings or slides, you know? we need to be looking at those things. If we really care about getting kids moving, that's where we need to be spending the the time and resources.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's also worth saying that, like, you mentioned the things that impact weight and health. And we know that one of them is your postcode where you live, because that probably determines your socioeconomic status in terms of how much your family income is and what access you have to stuff. And, you know, it's, you can sign up to all the clubs and do all the like dance classes and gymnastics club and all the rest of it if your parents have the money to do it but if yeah. they don't have the money to do it you are reliant on kind of what's at school um mm-hmm. and even then you might not be able to always afford all the clothes to wear for it mm-hmm. or whatever else so you know if we were to help people in that way you know like help subsidize children whose parents might not be able to afford stuff or the extracurricular activities to take part in those things would be amazing and you know if, We'd rather put all the time and energy and resources into that than, you know, weighing them all.
1: Yeah. And let's look at like, you know, thinking about making things accessible as well. Like there's a big conversation to be had in, in sports, sports clothing, you know, af- af- you know, athletic clothing for kids, yeah. you know, loads of kids. Either they can't afford, you know, pee kit is expensive and loads of kids either can't afford that peak kit or they don't, they can't, it's not comfortable because it doesn't fit them properly because mm. they don't have it in their size. Mm. So that's, you know, these conversations that are happening in fashion industry about, you know, inclusive fashion, it's happening also in kids circles yeah. and, you know, kids access to clothing and just kids, that just if, you know, if we can make sure kids have got access to comfy clothes that feel good on their body. And they've got opportunities to move their body and they've got, you know, time and space to do that. That would be, that would be much more impactful, I think, you know, but those things cost more money and it's more complicated and it's easier to just put the focus on the individual and blame the individual if they're not doing enough, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. And then we can just pretend like these systemic issues have an individual solution.
0: Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So for parents and perhaps even teachers who are worried about their child's body image or children in their care's body image, obviously we've got the Body um, Happy Kids org resources, but where can people kind of start with this conversation? What do you think is the best way to approach what is a really sensitive issue? I think that... I just would love to have
1: a bit more of a focus on prevention. You yeah. know, like I said before, we're all about prevention and looking at the environment. So for me, um, that, that comes with the acknowledgement that we all have a role to play and we all have a responsibility. So that means, you know, if you see some. Just anti-fat bias at your school or you know that your kid's school maybe like a really common one a really common one is kids getting stickers for clearing their plate you know at school they'll get really? a sticker um or they're not allowed to eat their pudding until they've eaten all their peas or something you know um so if you know that your school is like opting practices like that or maybe they're being told to keep a food diary at home that's another really common activity then just kind of like gently kind of nudge your school and just kind of offer them another perspective maybe you can say you know I've been learning about body image and well-being and and esteem and and how you know body image is a really fundamental part of a child's overall well-being and I've come across some really useful resources and I wondered if you would like to you know know about them too we need more parents to kind of advocate um on behalf of all the kids in the class because even if it doesn't affect your individual child there are kids in that class who are being affected and the more that we kind of look at you know how we can help all children then everyone will be better on an individual level as well you know we all benefit from this so it doesn't need to be something that you you yourself are struggling with or that your kids are struggling with for you to care about this and i think just be ready to have some you know, potentially difficult conversations. It doesn't have to be a big shouting match. People can get really defensive when you start raising some, you know, putting a boundary in or offering another perspective. And I hate conflict. I am like the biggest people pleaser ever. Like like I said, that that, com- that, that email conversation I had with the lady from the, the you know, Mocky, I I, um, I don't relish like these conversations, but there is a way that you can have a respectful dignified conversation with someone without it turning into you know he said she said you're this you're that I think if you focus on how it makes you feel and how it might be impacting your child that's a really good place to start because remembering that actually you know your kids teachers or your kids aunties and uncles or grandparents like Essentially, they probably want the best for your child, just like you do. And they might actually be horrified to learn that some of the some of the ways they're talking about food or bodies or movement, you know, around your kid could actually be negatively impacting your kid they might you know they might actually be really open to learning about this stuff so you know maybe say look I've found I've come across a really great interesting podcast shall we start listening to to it together you know you listen it comes out you know every week you listen to it and I'll listen to it and then maybe we can have a chat about it you know this really great person called Tally Rye. She's like reframing the way that we think about movement. You know, you, however it is, you know, just kind of trying to draw more and more people into these conversations. Because I think the, the more people who we're welcoming in, I think that there's a really big um, level of fear. People are really scared of getting it wrong. Yes. And people are really scared of get, making mistakes. And I, I, just to give like some background, when I do a workshop, one of the questions, one of the first questions that we ask in one of the interactive bits is, you know, what is diet culture? How do you define it? Now, I would say probably Mm -hmm. 90% of the people that I run workshops for haven't even heard of the term diet culture. So you're asking a lot of people, if they've never heard of the term diet culture, to then suddenly like wade right into the waters of understanding about weight stigma in the playground. And, you know, like you're, that that's a lot to get from point A to point B. So I think we need to meet people where they're at. I'm not saying we need to be complacent and we need to be overly gentle and mollycoddle people. Like Actually, no, we do need to challenge people. But we need to also recognize that for the vast majority of people out in the mainstream world, away from this lovely little bubble that we've got you know of like you know positive body image and you know intuitive movement intuitive eating all of that kind of you know stuff away from that actually out in the in the real world you know things are not you know a lot of these concept concepts are are alien for people so I think that just having being ready to have those conversations and just think you know every person you have a conversation with you could be opening their eyes to a new way of being that will it that will really positively impact their children your children maybe even themselves um, but we need diet culture that the diet industrial complex has billions of pounds they've got so much money they can afford to rent billboards and team up with the nhs and you know pour funnel millions of pounds into advertising campaigns and government policies that continually keep people on that diet bandwagon so what we need to do as as the people who are trying to push back against that is is try and like we need to do our own marketing we need to be spreading like through word of mouth and recommendations and whatsapp groups and you know our best mates you know texting them that's what we need to be doing like to try and push back to that Because, you know, I'm telling you now, like, Body Happy Org doesn't have millions of pounds to funnel into advertising to reach every school in the UK. Like, we're relying on word of mouth recommendations and people finding us, you know, because they realize that there's a need. But wouldn't it be lovely if everyone just kind of knew that, you know, these ideas existed and that these resources were there and that it didn't have to, we didn't have to just accept the old way of doing things. There's a new way of doing things
0: now. Let's embrace it. Mm. Let's embrace it, let's learn about it. And like you say, I think let's meet people where they're at and bring them with us, you know? I think rather than pointing the fingers sometimes and being like, you're wrong, how dare you get this wrong? I think especially the people pointing the fingers can often forget that they were once there. And I think you have, there's a compassion of going like, I get it, I get why you think the way you do, because it's understandable given the context within which you exist. However, here's an alternative. What do you, like, at least understand the alternative and then you get to make a, a call as to what you want to do, you know? Um, and I think that's probably the sort of fairest way to approach this, but you're right. It's an uphill struggle, but you know, like I say, one kind of, one seed planted at a time.
1: Yes exactly
0: molly you're doing such amazing work i think we could actually talk for another two hours um (laughs) and so i'm sure there'll probably be tons of questions and people wanting to you know um follow up with you on this so we may have to get you back but (laughs) before we do finish um i want to ask you what has been your most recent train happy moment
1: oh gosh do you know i've just really enjoyed just being in the pool recently I haven't been able to like the mornings are so dark at the moment and so cold and I the only time that I'm able to go swimming is like I have to get to the pool for half six because I have to be home for 10 past seven which is when my husband leaves for work he's a teacher so he's got to get in early for like registration and I can't leave my kids unfortunately yet at home alone so um, I went for a swim the other morning and it was so lovely because I hadn't been in a couple of weeks. I had my period and I just couldn't be bothered. And it was like too cold. And I went earlier this week and I got there. And um, I think everyone else has probably had the same idea. No, <laughs> there was only one other person in the pool, but oh, it was it was a blissful half an hour because it was just like time on my own and it was just time, like it was quiet. I had loads of time to stretch out my arms in the pool because there wasn't, you know, there weren't loads of other people around like trying to do lengths. And, um, what was interesting for me was that was, so that was on Tuesday. And as we're recording this now, it's Thursday and I couldn't go on Wednesday and I couldn't go this morning. My little one is ill. And I was like up in the night with her and I was too tired, but, um, I'm all right with that. Like it was lovely to go for that swim on Tuesday and even if I can't go again for the rest of the week that's kind of it sustained me. It was a nice thing. I know maybe next week I'll have more time and it'll be different and maybe it won't and that's okay. But it was it was really lovely and I think I'm still now even years down the line into this kind of these um this kind of new way of framing movement I'm still just enjoying how how much more relaxed i am about it you know not feeling like i have to like hit every workout and kind of just being a bit kinder to myself with it so i have you a lot to thank for that tally you know you and 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 you know th- these you know the things that you're talking about I have you to thank for a lot of that so i'm going to dedicate that train happy moment to you
0: <laughs> oh i'm so pleased and i'm so pleased that it's unconditional permission to rest that's what you're you're practicing you're practicing that kind of that gentle like it's okay like great I got to go but also like you know I'm not gonna put the stress that I have to do x amount a week and I you know things take priority and sick children especially take priority and that's life and to you know cut yourself a bit of slack around that because I think what happens is especially with exercise, we kind of go like, no, we must do these things regardless of whatever happens, but you know, no excuses. And that's not realistic. That is not sustainable. That is not long-term thinking that is leading to burnout and leading to you just being like, oh, it's too much pressure. But I think it sounds like you just found like a really happy flow with things and really being kind to yourself. That's what it's all about.
1: Yeah. Some mornings you have time to do it and some mornings you don't. And early, we've done a lot of decorating this year as well. And I have those days when I was like painting the house, I was like, oh, I haven't been swimming. I was like, oh, painted the house today. That yes. counts. That's moving. <laughs> That's why my arms are aching because I've been there with like a roller. And I think, you know, for me, remembering that all those little things I do every day is still moving my body. And it might not count mm. as formal exercise, but it's still It's
0: still movement isn't it it is it is okay molly let's tell everyone where they can find all the things (laughs) we've discussed today um where can they find Uh. you and where can they find body happy kids Okay. So I am on Instagram and Twitter
1: at Molly J Forbes, Molly with a Y and J for Jane, Forbes, F-O-R-B-E-S. Body Happy Org is also on Instagram and Facebook and that's Body Happy Org, O-R-G, as in short for organization. You can find our website, bodyhappyorg.com online, um and you you know all the resources and everything that we've talked about today are on the website and my book body happy kids how to help children and teens love the skin they're in is available in all good all good bookshops including um jeff bezos's one so you'll find it everywhere
0: (laughs) it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for all your insights you really smashed it
1: thank you thank you for having me again
0: But that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please do let us know on social media you can find us on Instagram at train happy podcast and we do want to hear from you we want your questions we want to hear your train happy moments and we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week so remember you can get in touch with us via our whatsapp it is 07599 927 537 And whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on, please rate and review. It really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message. And that is it for this week. I'll be back with a brand new episode for you next Monday. See you then.